Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Achieving Better Outcomes with Mass Notification Systems, sponsored by Single Wire Software. My name is Kevin Drulli. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine, and I will be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. We hope you all are safe and well amid the COVID-19 pandemic. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I wanna go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication doesn't mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type a question, and click the send button. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. And any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speakers. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey that will appear on a separate screen. We will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast, as well as all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. You may also receive a link in a post-event email. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speakers today are Pat Sheckle and Jason Sufka. Pat is Executive Vice President of Product Management at SingleWire Software and a leading developer of mass notification solutions. He brings more than 15 years of experience in helping organizations across a wide spectrum of industries with implementing tools that enhance safety and communication and is keenly aware of the challenges organizations face when trying to keep people safe and informed. Pat and his team are committed to ensuring every organization can reach their people with important safety updates everywhere, every time. Jason is the Emergency Preparedness Project Manager for Centricare Health, an integrated not-for-profit organization working to improve the lives and well-being of those living in central Minnesota. He also works as a firefighter for his local fire department and brings more than a decade of facility security experience. Again, we thank you all for being here today. Pat, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. All right, thank you, Kevin. So just a little bit of background on us, your sponsor, Single Wire Software. Um, this will just take a, a few moments here. Um, and it kind of lays the foundation for the discussion uh, with Jason because Jason implemented this system at Centricare uh, in Minnesota. So we've been around for, uh, our system has been around for about 20 years. It's called Informacast. It's a mass notification platform. Uh, we're based in Madison, Wisconsin. We have about 120 people on staff and we have about 7,000 customers now in more than 85 countries. So what we do that's a little bit different than those things out on the marketplace is that we send not only to mobile phones, which is what most people think of when you say mass notification, we do that, but we also send to a whole variety of in-building devices. So text, audio, uh, reaching everyone very quickly. And the audio piece is important because that's the piece that is missing in a lot of systems. And of course, life safety figured this out years ago, and that's why we have fire safety codes, NFPA, and so forth. But if you have an active shooter, you, you might not get anything more than a text message from a lot of systems. Conversely, if you were in a building and there were a fire, you wouldn't only expect to receive a text message. So you can see how those two paradigms are very different uh, for two uh, somewhat similar life safety events in the sense that we need to let everybody know very quickly, and we want them to take a particular action. So this is a, an over, a brief overview of what we do in terms of reaching people both in building and, uh, and while they're mobile. And to bring this to life, I'm gonna give you one quick case study before we get to the discussion with Jason. This was a customer of ours before they had our software, they had a shooting situation. And they surveyed everybody after the fact because in their after action review, they realized that a lot of people didn't get the message. And what that, review showed, that survey showed, is that people wanted to be notified based on whatever they happened to be doing that morning. So if they were walking in the skyway between the two buildings, they wanted to be notified via a speaker in the overhead uh, paging system. If they were off campus, of course, they wanted to get a, a text message to let them know not to come to campus. And if they were at their desk, they wanted a desktop pop-up. And you, so you can see that the problem with that is that the next time something happens, you don't know where you're going to be. These things aren't scheduled events, of course. And so it really speaks to why 
you need to have any to any notification, why you need to have the speed, the reach and the intrusiveness of a system that reaches people both on their mobile devices and on in-building devices. So with that brief introduction, um, now we're gonna talk to Jason. Uh, Jason Sufka uh, is the Emergency Preparedness Project Manager uh, at Centric Care Health. We've known each other for a while. We've done a few of these talks together. Um, uh, first of all, thank you all of you for attending today and thank you to NFC and Safety and Health for having us. Um, Jason brings a, a, a real range of experience and I think that'll come through as, as we talk uh, here this afternoon. He's worn a lot of different hats, um, not just the fireman hat, but the, uh, the emergency preparedness hat and so forth. So Jason, with that, tell us a little bit about CentraCare. Where are you located? How many sites? How many employees? That sort of thing. Yeah, thanks, Pat. And thanks everyone for joining us today. Uh, CentraCare is located kind of uh, in the central part of Minnesota, uh, ranges from about uh, Brainerd Baxter area, which is our lakes community, down to uh, kind of the metro, just the northern tier of the metro, uh, kind of Big Lake is a community there. Uh, we also have partnered with uh, Caris Health, uh, their subsidiary of Centricare, and they encompass more of our western part of the state, uh, from Wilmer area down to Redwood Falls. So uh, when you put those two organizations together, we're a substantial presence in the state of Minnesota. We take a large uh, plot of the state. So um, roughly Centricare, when, when I started working for Centricare, uh, it was five uh, hospitals with one core and four uh, community or critical access hospitals, and then several clinical spaces and clinical buildings, some specialty spaces, and we also have a long-term care component of our healthcare system. So all together, all said, we had between 60 and 64 actual brick and mortar physical sites across that uh, swath and about 15,000 employees. And then when we brought on Caris Health as the subsidiary, we added an additional two hospitals many clinical buildings and about another six to 10,000 employees. So um, that, that's kind of the uh, lay down of what we are. Our core hospital, St. Cloud Hospital is uh, a level two trauma center um, and is basically the hub of central Minnesota. A lot of uh, patient care comes through us uh, before or uh, before they go to level one uh, down in the met in our metro area, um, we also handle a lot of care uh, that you would see at your level one centers. So, and any given day, our main core hospital, our patient census is about 415 patients. Um, I think uh, at, on a busy day, we can be 425. Uh, on a good day, we're 370, somewhere in that range. So, so that's kind of a little layout of what CentraCare is and where we uh, put our footprint down and how many staff we uh, oversee. It's a relatively sprawling organization in terms of miles covered and, and the number of, of sites, certainly um, the number of people somewhere add up those two, uh, the two entities somewhere between 20 and 25,000 employees total, it sounds like. Correct. Yeah. And just for context, I know we're in March Madness as we're uh, as we're talking about this, um, but uh, there's another kind of March Madness, and that's the Frozen Four. And St. Cloud um, is home to St. Cloud State University, which, if I'm not mistaken, is one of three Minnesota schools in the Frozen Four, which is the the, the final four of college hockey. Right? Yeah, we kind of we we definitely take our hockey seriously in the state of Minnesota. When the lakes freeze and you have unlimited ice you can go anywhere to play. There you go, there you go. Those, the pond hockey is, is religion up there. All right, very good. So Jason, tell us a little bit about your role. What are your responsibilities day to day at Centricare? Yeah, so my role is as uh, laid out project manager and that can be a multitude of projects. The uh, reason I was hired on at Centricare was specifically to oversee the mass notification or what we're calling emergency communications program. Um, it's something that we recognize projects typically have a start and an end. 
And in this case, this is more than a project. It's something that is always changing, uh, trying to make it better, different ways of leveraging the uh, resources in the systems. And so we have deemed changing it from the mass notification project to the emergency communications program. That is the core of what I'm responsible for. But that being said, COVID threw a whole loop in there. And uh, I was actually, for lack of a better term, drafted. Uh, being emergency preparedness, we uh, do a lot of work with incident management uh, training and incident management teams. And so as a result, early on March of 2020, I was uh, asked to go support the statewide response for COVID uh, in any way that we could see fit. Uh, I started out going to provide some IT support with my partner, Keith Christensen from Centricare. And in the end, it turned out we became logistics and started uh, facilitating PPE and vents and ventilators and things. And at one point last year, Pat, I, I know you've brought this up before, we were doing this uh, uh, meeting. I was in a truck delivering ventilators across all of Southern Minnesota as a part of that COVID response. So um, the things that I do are Centric Care specific, but that bleeds over into a lot of other areas. So, um, but then outside of just my mass notification side of things, I'm also now very involved in our physical site safety surveys. Uh, as a result of um, the Buffalo, I, I believe national news, but we had a clinic up here, not Centric Care, it was another organization, but there was an unfortunate active shooter event recently in February uh, where one staff member was killed. And as a result, we are continuing to reach out to our facilities and uh, making sure that they feel safe and doing whatever we can to educate and promote safety and support them wherever we can. So that's, that's kind of my new project that I'm working on. So um, yeah, that's a little bit about what I do at Centricare. So that's, yeah, that's helpful. I do recall when we had that, we had that video call and you were sitting in the cab of a truck with a, a load of ventilators that, that you were delivering. Um, and yeah, very unfortunate about what happened in Buffalo. Um, but it really drives home the need to, uh, to, have, uh, to have plans in place to try to mitigate um, a number of things, whether we're talking about perimeter security, access control, um, mass notification, et cetera. So with that, um, Jason, tell us a little bit about your mass notification journey. Um, how, did you, how, did you, uh, how did you come to implement um, a mass notification system and, and how did that work out? So again, uh, unfortunate event happened and this time it was Centricare. Uh, October of 2015 also made national news. Uh, we had an unfortunate event inside of our St. Cloud hospital walls. Uh, there was a prisoner under guard and uh, in the process of that uh, detention was able to uh, wrestle a weapon away from the detention deputy, the, the person guarding that patient and uh, unfortunately the deputy was shot and killed by the patient. Um, that patient was subdued by our on-site security uh, via taser and a couple other hands-on methods. Um, and in the end, the patient also passed away. But as a result, uh, there was a very rigorous uh, approach to implement some kind of big red button notification process where People got notified uh, multiple ways across multiple paths. And so Centricare as a whole came together with a robust team of IS and emergency preparedness, um, IS or IT, uh, emergency preparedness, facilities, security. They all sat down and they started shopping uh, products to look at uh, uh, mass notification as a whole. Uh, in the end, they, uh, Centricare has a working relationship with a uh, third-party vendor uh, called Marco. Uh, they're a local vendor in our area that supports work on the single wire and specifically in Formicast system. 
And so it was decided that with that relationship and the product that was in front of them, CentraCare picked uh, Informacast to be that platform. And then we, they started to implement that plan with Marco and decided that they needed to have somebody to oversee the rollout and implementation of that product. And that's where I was brought into the, the mix. Uh, they went out and did a search for someone with experience with mass notification and they were able to uh, select me and that's how the journey began. Um, and then through the process, we had a goal in mind of three specific pathways. And similar to what you said, Pat, the previous slide, having that desktop notification, also having a mobile notification process. We currently have opted to go with the SMS text messaging. I know SingleWire and Informacast specifically offers the ability to do a mobile app. Um, we've played around with that. We have not implemented it. We use the SMS side of things. And then also the expansion of the live audio page, the audio overhead. So we not only use our existing analog overhead speakers, we tap into the digital fire alarm system, and we also utilize the phones, desk phones, and any uh, wireless phone devices in our system. So so we have achieved that uh, and have that full rollout of those three pathways, which was the target when I was hired. And now we currently are utilizing that in all of our emergency notifications. So desktop, live audio, expansion, and SMS text. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. And I think, you know, one of the things that, um, that the abstract for this session talked about was analyzing current emergency communication plans and identifying gaps. And it sounds like the impetus for that was that unfortunate event where the Stearns County deputy was, was shot by the prisoner under guard. Um, and, and then those gaps were identified and, and it was up to you to, to bridge those gaps. You came up with those three, three main pathways. Um, like you said, desktop notification, SMS text messaging for people on mobile phones, and then audio broadcasting. Uh, and that's sending to multiple buildings, uh, overhead paging systems at once, while also not calling, but broadcasting to desk phones, essentially turning desk phones into emergency notification speakers, if you will. And yes, correct. And just a correction, it was the Aitken County deputy. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Okay. No, that's yeah. fine. Aitken County was the one that uh, was there detaining that individual. So... But yes, that, that is the, uh, it was one of the things that comes up and for anybody in safety, you know about after action planning and all of our after action plans. I mean, you ask anybody nationwide, what's the number one issue and it's communication. And so the communication aspect, we wanted to be able to say without a shadow of a doubt that nobody in the organization could ever come back and say, I didn't know what was going on. And so we look at how can we, oversaturate in true emergency notification. And the way to do that is those multiple live audio broadcasts. And like you said, Pat, not phone calls, they're actual opening the speaker on the phone and using it as if it was an overhead in the ceiling. And then also leveraging that uh, analog or digital uh, overhead device, as well as partnering with the fire system um, and using the speakers as long as you're in compliance with the NFPA codes. Right, right. And I imagine the ability to tap into the fire system speakers depends on the age of the system in that particular building. You know, do they have intelligible audio that can, that are that's already being used for voice evacuation, that sort of thing? And I'm just curious, out of out of all those buildings that you have responsibility for, do you have any idea how many um, building systems? Uh, you're able to tie into the fire system? Uh, it's actually probably at this point, 45%. And it's not because of the fact that we couldn't do it on most of our buildings. Uh, a lot of our fire systems in our buildings are newer and have the enunciator speakers tied in. But you're correct. If the hardware or infrastructure is not there, um, then that removes one of those options. The biggest bang for our buck has been the phones. Uh, having the ability to leverage those phones. But uh, even with that, there comes some back-end technical programming that has to be done. Um, but 
as far as the fire system goes, our facilities group is very pleased with where we are tied into the fire system. And so we are getting the infrastructure as a capital request over the next several years to eliminate the analog overhead and only use digital fire speaker systems. Right, right. We see that as an increasing trend uh, for what it's worth. And I think one of the reasons why is because if you have the ability to maintain one speaker plant as opposed to two in a building, there's obvious savings there. The other reason being that because of fire codes, you're going to have speakers in places that you might not have traditional overhead paging system speakers, you know, closets, even, you know, um, locker rooms, uh, bathrooms, you know, that you might not have an overhead paging speaker. And there's also with the NFPA code, there's rules in regards to audio level and the inability to turn right. it off. So yeah, the 15 decibel over ambient noise. Um, requirement, that sort of thing, among others. Yeah, that, that's very important to point out as well. So we've talked a lot about, in, in these last few minutes, we've talked a lot about the things that are receiving the notifications so that you reach everybody. Let's talk a little bit about the, the trigger of the message, like the, you know, who's, who's responsible for it. I think when people look at their emergency communication plans, they're planning around scenarios. We talked about active shooter. They talk about severe weather. Um, of course, in, in healthcare, um, you have various codes that you're calling and so forth. So if you could just walk us through a, a few different use cases, who's responsible for, for triggering? What method are they using? And has any of that changed in recent years? Mm -hmm. So there's, I would, there's what I would consider an ideal state, but then there's also multiple options. And we're in one of those multiple options cases. Ideal state, obviously, single wire and Informacast, the product, Informacast has a very user-friendly interface with the uh, incident command mobile connection and also having the command center feature where it's basically a choose-your-own-adventure. You plug in information as, as the questions are answered, uh, site location, who, what type of event, who needs to be notified, and then just click send. It's kind of uh, a foolproof, fail-safe way of doing it. Um, unfortunately, we do not have a true uh, emergency operations center. We have a contact center, but they're kind of jack-of-all-trades operators. And so with that, they operate in an environment called Intelco, which is a phone answering service. And so what we have done on our end is an integration to Informacast from Mtelco, where those operators answer the phone in their native uh, program. And all of the scripting is in that Mtelco system. They go ahead and free text, fill in some of the details. And uh, at the end, then they can click activate and Mtelco actually is the one that triggers the Informacast system. Um, so that's how if somebody were to make an emergency call out to ask for assistance in notification, and that's available to all of our sites, they can call a single number and get that contact center and then share with them what they need to, uh, for lack of a better term, what they need to broadcast or what they need to send out as an emergency notification. That being said, we've empowered our staff to also make on-site uh, notifications if they if they feel that the delay to call that emergency number would be too great. Um, the only downfall with that is the on-site notification that they're doing is only the live audio broadcast. So they have the ability to pick up a phone in any facility and dial a sequence of numbers, star pound and then two numbers. And then once they dial those two numbers, they get free open access to the overhead broadcasting system and they can live audio say whatever they need to say. So in some cases, we'll have one staff member call the emergency line to get all of the you know, balls rolling in the emergency notification with desktop and things like that. And another staff member will jump on the phone on the site dial that star pound in the two numbers and then do just a local live audio broadcast. And then when that location, the uh, operations center 
has all the information they need, then they continue the follow-up notifications that are needed and activate that desktop and the SMS text message. So uh, for lack of better term, everybody in the CentraCare system has the authority and the ability to say or message some message through that live audio broadcast, but the emergency communications as a whole is handled and owned by the contact center. That, that makes a lot of sense. We've, we've heard from other customers about that need to have site-specific communication that is, that is immediate and is in context and not to necessarily wait for a central uh, operator, whether that's a security operations center or in your case, a contact center to clear the message because that, that loop of going up and then having it come back down can take time. So the ability to have kind of a dual capability there where anyone can notify um, their particular site um, while also uh, then sending that on to the contact center so that they can send a system-wide or, or broader notification um, at their discretion. That, that, is, that is something that we increasingly see. And I, you know, when we talk at, um, at these conferences and so forth, we have people ask that question, that, that specific question, who should be given the ability and the, the responsibility of initiating uh, a mass notification? And I don't think there's a one size fits all answer. I think it's an, it depends, but I think that we have seen people move towards the type of arrangement that you have implemented there. We've seen more people go to that. I think the natural inclination because there can be false positives and that sort of thing where people are concerned about anybody being able to trigger any message. Um, that, that's a very valid concern, but the way that you have it implemented where you're containing the, their ability, not anyone can send a system-wide message, of course, but anybody can send a message to their site. Um, it's analogous to what you can do on a fire alarm, right? If you, have, if, you have an emer if you see a fire emergency, anyone can pull that red handle, right? And similarly, if you have some sort of emergency where you need to let everybody in the building know about something, an active intruder, for example, um, having them trained so that they can hit a three or four digit code on a, on a phone um, is a very effective way of doing it. And we're seeing, uh, we've, we're seeing more movement in that direction. You guys are already there. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, some of your other uh, integration points. Um, we had talked about how you tied into access control at, at one point. Um, you have a Linnell system, if I recall correctly. Um, and just describe what you've done there. Yeah, so we have Linnell as our uh, door access control. And what we have done as proof of concept, we've uh, implemented it at one of our larger offsite facilities uh, in our administration or IT building. Uh, for us, it's called the ASB. Um, but we actually implemented a connection between Linnell, single wire and Formicast and the uh, fire alarm system. And so what, what we were able to accomplish through a uh, just base input output relay device in a data closet is uh, open close contact uh, type communication with uh, those three systems. So. Uh, as long as we put that relay device, that input output relay device in a data room that has an addressable uh, uh, fire uh, device and in all data rooms, there's usually smoke heads or smoke detectors that have an address. Um, so we're able to plug or connect into that. And then in that data room we selected, there's also the Linnell head end uh, uh, equipment, the control panel. So uh, we plug into that as well. So what we were able to do then is both activate single wire and do a lockdown or a internal active threat is the alert that we would call. Uh, we were able to then by activating that on single wire side have the Linnell system recognize that notification and go into a lockdown uh, process itself. Uh, it, we opt to uh, offer some doors that maintain card access for employees, but in the event that an employee is um, uh, 
unfortunately wounded or killed and that badge is taken from them, we also change the access rights to some of our card readers to security only. And our local law enforcement actually have key fobs as well that uh, fall under that security category. So regular employee badges would not be able to get through some doors, but the uh, law enforcement or security would. So um, we were able to activate that through that relay connection. And then also on the fire side, we were able to uh, have the fire system take and drop power to any of the hold open doors, whether it was mag holds or it was just the spring hold. Um, in all those cases, we were able to have those doors, the power drop, and then those doors come closed as if it was a fire situation. We then tested it on the Linnell side, had Linnell go ahead and push that uh, lockdown button because we do have those buttons around and some of our areas like main desk admissions areas or also in emergency rooms. And so when that Linnell button was pushed, single wire sees that open closed contact command and then also activated all of the desktop notifications and the overhead paging. The only caveat to that is when you do it on the single wire side, you can go ahead and do a live audio page and give details, three shooters, one person on second floor, whatever. I mean, not that that would be the reality, but you can give that live audio with details information. If you're activating it on the Linnell side, it's a recording that just says security alert, internal active threat, run, hide, fight. And so, because obviously it's being activated from Linnell from a command as opposed to a human being actually triggering something. Well, that, that makes sense though. And there's certainly a place for both of those, right? There's a place for hitting a button. If you're, I mean, if you're in the immediate area of the active threat, hitting a button and then, and then run, running, hiding or fighting. Um, and you don't have the, the time maybe to get onto the phone, hit the four digits and, and speak audio, right? So you can see where there's a place for both, where if you're not in the immediate proximity, then maybe you can get onto the, the live audio broadcast. But if you are in the immediate vicinity, just hit that button and get out. So that, that makes a lot of sense. In terms of um, the other integration points, and we've talked, about, we've talked about panic buttons, we've talked about overhead paging, desktop notification. Um, is, are you using digital signage at all in, in your environment? We do have digital signage, but at this time we haven't tied into it because digital signage is actually handled by our media and marketing, which is actually kind of a separate entity from our ISIT group. And gotcha. so they were not as uh, involved there. I've had conversations. They're super willing. We do want to head down that road. But again, our target was those desktops, the live audio and the SMS. So, Okay, very good. I just like to ask the audience that if you have any questions for Jason, go ahead and use that Q&A panel. We would love to hear from you. Um, we'd love to take your questions for Jason. As you can see, he just has a wealth of experience in, in a number of areas um, related to uh, emergency management, um, risk management, um, life safety, and so forth. So um, we've covered pretty a pretty broad range of, of uh, topics here today as we've talked about the centric care journey from the initial incident in 2015, you know, up to um, where we are today. Um, we do have you know, some more content to cover, but certainly um, would love to hear, uh, love to hear the questions. All right, so I, I think one of the things that, that a lot of people would, would like to hear about, um, you know, when, because you've really done a lot with the system in terms of the use cases that you're enacting, um, how you're able to let people trigger those, the freedom they have to do that, the methods that you're using to deliver uh, the notification and so forth. Um, what, if you had to go back in time, what advice would you give to someone that is looking at implementing a mass notification system for the first time, or maybe looking to augment what they're doing today? So the first thing I tell people is always look at what it is the, the end goal is. A lot of times I think we see, oh, 
we had this issue or this event and it'd be really nice if we could do like the colleges or the school systems do. And, you know, if I, as a parent in Minnesota can be notified that my son or daughter was involved in an issue in California, you know, ultimately, why can't I have that in my setting? And so people go out and just say, oh, they're all the same, a dime a dozen. And reality is that's just not true. There are a lot of different uh, vendors out there and they do different things. Um, so one of the questions that I always tell people to ask is, am, am I targeting those on-premise people or am I targeting people off-premise or do I want both? There are uh, many players in the market that like Pat had said on the beginning, um, where mobile is their claim to fame. Like I can, I can do your social media, I can do your text messaging, I can get mobile out there. There are also a few out there that are really good at on-premise. I have a server on site, I can even operate if the network's down, I can go ahead and notify your desktop devices and anything inside your facility. But there are very few out there that do the broad spectrum, kind of the silver bullet very well. And I've been pleased with what we've seen and what we've done with single wire in being that one-stop shop, that silver bullet of operating with one particular vendor to not only leverage your on-premise, but also your off-premise devices. I think that's sound advice, you know, really do your research and try to identify what problem you're trying to solve. And, and as they say, design with the end in mind, which, um, which I think uh, Centric Care certainly did and is still on that journey because you've done so much. Well, why don't we go, um, Kevin, why don't we go to questions um, with the time that we have here and we'll try to get to as many of these as we can. All right, sounds great. Well, no, excellent. Great job, both of you, Pat and Jason, and, and thanks for your insights and expertise. Before we do dive into the Q&A, just want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. The survey will open in a different screen after this presentation. Really do appreciate the input because it'll help us improve future webcasts. And uh, we appreciate you taking that extra time to, to offer feedback. Uh, with that though, let's get to some questions. Uh, first, just what makes a, a mass notification effective? So do you want to take that, Pat, or? Well, I, I'll answer, I mean, that's a question we get a lot. I think the ultimately you have to ask, why are you sending a notification in the first place? It's almost always because you want people to take some sort of behavior, right? It might be to stay where they are. It might be to move. It might be to answer, but you want people to take behavior and they can't take that behavior unless one, they receive the message. So reaching as close to 100% of your people is really important. For many events that you're sending a mass notification for, time is of the essence. I mean, with what's happened in the last couple of weeks, um, active shooter is back in the news. And so people are thinking about that, but there are weather events, there's hazmat, there's all sorts of different things. So you, you have to tabletop those exercises and try to understand what is what element of speed is there. And then there's the idea of this intrusiveness. Again, if you, know, you would not expect to only receive a text message for, for a fire alarm, um, you're gonna get audio and you're gonna get visual notification the same should be true for other events. So in terms of making, what makes a mass notification effective, you know, does it reach people and does it get them to take the desired behavior? And I would echo that. I would say speed and reach is the number one goal. Again, it's an emergency. We wanna get that out there as fast as possible. Um, and the way that we ultimately judge that is based on our after action reviews. So if we're looking at after action reviews and we still have people saying, I had no idea the event was happening, then we've failed somewhere. Um, the other aspect is just the broad spectrum, like you said, the intrusiveness. I think that I look for a product that has the most capabilities, can reach the most integrations. Um, now we're in that industry of internet of things and pretty much anybody can talk to anybody, but when the rubber meets the road, do they have the technical sound support to be able to make those interactions and make that programming work? So. Um, we have a lot of different systems that we use at Centricare, uh, both for notification, pagers, things like that. Um, in the end, as we continue to grow this program, like I said in the beginning, we will continue to tap into all of those areas. And I have no doubt that Single Wire and Formicast will be able to uh, communicate as we've successfully bridged that gap in other areas like MTelco and things like that. So 
um, again, it's success is speed and reach and uh, seeing good outcomes on after action reports. What are some common mistakes you see organizations make when implementing a mass notification system? I think, uh, and we were victim to it as well. I think that uh, good questions are asked often in the front end, but not always thought through 100%. Uh, prime example for us, we asked, uh, again, I wasn't a part of the team at the time, but the question was asked of Informacast, do you operate in the virtual environment? The answer is yes, but in our virtual environment, the way it was designed, it didn't operate the way we wanted it to operate. So we have a central housing of that virtual environment. And so at the time, single wire informcast was able to go ahead and make a notification, but there was no segregation between site uh, locations. And so we went back to the drawing board with uh, informcast and they were able to put out a, a fix, but not necessarily a fix, but a change so that in our environment and in other customers across the country, uh, it's, it's now able to operate in that virtual environment and only notify those devices in that particular site, which uh, at the time wasn't uh, maybe the appropriate question. So again, I think the mistakes that happen are we look at what we want to accomplish right here and right now. And we ask some very good questions, but we don't necessarily phrase the questions the way that we need to phrase them, or we're not thinking with the end in mind. Yeah, I think that's that's good advice. We're talking about the virtual desktop infrastructure at, at Centricare, and yep. yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I just add on to that, you know, mistakes that we see are just are, are people operating in silos, just not communicating with other parts of the organization and not understanding what their needs are. And so we'll actually come into an organization sometimes and we'll find that several departments have contracted for their own mass notification system. Uh, and then there's the effort to consolidate that and kind of undo what's been done. Next one, why is it important to leverage multiple communication channels for emergency messages? So on our end, it's important because again, if, if for whatever reason I'm going for the SMS and the cell device does not have good reception or I'm inside the core of a building and that message doesn't go through, there's another means. We have the live audio broadcast. If that live audio broadcast maybe doesn't work because a wire got cut or something isn't communicating appropriately, I'm also notifying them through desktop. If that desktop doesn't work, there's an image that comes up on the phones. We actually have a screen image with uh, text information. If that doesn't work, it's through the wireless uh, cellular devices that are coordinated with our phone system. Uh, there's also images on those phones. It's one of those things, just redundancy, because again, in an emergency, you wouldn't expect to only get one path of notification because one thing we know in emergencies is Murphy likes to visit us. And if something goes wrong, it's gonna go wrong when we need it the most. So multiple pathways and multiple avenues of notification, especially during those emergency events is crucial. So that's why it's important to have those. Next question asks, uh, what about safe rooms? Do you have those available? So in the healthcare setting, we have lockable spaces. Um, we, I, I wouldn't call it a safe room. I mean, any space, if you dedicate time and effort, you probably could find a way to overcome it. But we train our staff to do more than that. Uh, we embrace the run, hide, fight and kind of that what next step. Um, we also encourage when you barricade doors in rooms that you don't just pile a bunch of stuff in front of the door. You actually stack it end to end from door to the back wall. So should that lock fail or somebody gets a key card and that uh, particular door can be uh, accessed via that key card, then the door itself is rendered inoperable. So, and even if they get to that point, we encourage them to then think about fighting if somebody breaches that space. Um, I guess in the grand sense, we have lockable spaces and we would call any lockable space a safe room in those events. 
Next one. Uh, what examples, if any, do you have of mass notification used in hazmat response? So we actually have a hazardous material spill response and it includes uh, notification. So uh, each site is uh, allowed to dictate how that works. Some sites actually have a spill response team and they want only the team to be notified. Other sites, uh, it's kind of all hands on deck. Um, if the site is, or if the spill is large enough and we want to go ahead and limit uh, traffic or people walking through the space while the cleanup is being done, uh, we just have scripting that uh, dictates that. So when the contact center takes the call, they may say something like uh, hazmat spill activated, um, you know, and, and just basic information but they may say something like hazmat spill activated, please avoid, uh, you know, second floor, whatever. So um, we do have a policy and we do utilize the Informacast system for hazardous spill response. Next one, would you recommend this for a distribution center? Pat, I'll let you take that one. I'm thinking kind of site specific, like surgery centers too, where you know, room cleaning of the rooms and stuff. Uh, yeah, we have we have quite a few customers in manufacturing and distribution. Um, little bit different uh, needs there. Um, particularly, you have a lot of uh, loud ambient noise. Uh, you have people wearing hearing protection on forklifts, that sort of thing. And so the the uh, the importance of adding visual notification uh, in terms of uh, like LED signboards um, with with LED flashers to draw people's attention to it. Um, as well as as well as having um, audio involved, so yeah, but definitely, you know, the the question speaks to active shooters can happen anywhere, and you know, certainly, you want to protect people wherever they are. Next one, and um, they are asking: Are the panic switches like a fire pole station that can be activated by anyone, or do you need an access badge to activate it? And Cite an example saying in a public facility, it seems to be a concern for false alarms if anyone can activate a panic switch. Uh, so the location of our panic uh, buttons, uh, if it's the Linnell lockdown button that I was talking about, they're actually behind where it would be staff only access. Um, in the case of actual panic alarms, we aren't currently uh, using panic uh, addressable devices like Send Security Now or you know, escalated behavior or those kind of things, but we will have the option to do that as our program uh, evolves. Uh, and with that, those particular panics are uh, similar to a silent duress or like a bank alarm where it's under a desk. I know where it is, I can push it, but other people don't know where it is. Uh, but in regards to the locking the building down, this is a major issue. Um, that's all located like in nursing stations or behind uh, registration desks and stuff like that. We had a question asking about a recording and just wanted to note that, yes, after, after uh, today's uh, webcast to view this or any of our past webcasts, you can go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. Um, as Pat said moments ago, you, you can't ask a question in that Q&A button at the bottom. I know we're running a little low. Um, I know you guys don't necessarily want to talk hockey too much more, but did um, you stay up for the, the end of, of Saint, um, sorry, Minnesota Duluth and, and North Dakota the other night? Yeah, that multiple overtime game. Mm -hmm. I was actually at an honor guard training for my fire department. And so I watched, I think the first two overtimes and then I I was not able to see it to the end, but good outcome. Sure. No, yeah, like I said, your, your home state is, uh, is showing up well. So um, I'd I just like to say thanks to everyone for, uh, for your time and attention today. I hope you found this useful. Right. Um, as, as always, you, you both have been very thorough. Is there anything additionally you'd, you'd like to say right now? I just also want to echo what Pat said. I thank everybody for taking the time. Uh, as I'm going around doing these site surveys, one of the things that I continually message to people, it's called emergency preparedness for a reason. Now is the time to think it through. Now is the time to have the meetings. Now is the time to have the discussions. 
because in that moment, hindsight is 2020. It would have been nice to, or it would have been good if we, all those kind of things. And if you're trying to solve the solution in the emergency, the brain just doesn't work that way. We're all in safety for a reason. We need to be prepared. Talk about it now, figure out how you're going to solve the problem so that when it does happen, you are ready to go. So that's the whole concept behind preparedness. Looks like we actually did get one more. And um, it, it's asking, do these systems automatically notify authorities? So they can. We actually did that for a while, but there was not a good handoff in the phone call. It's an audio recorded phone call, uh, kind of a text to speech. So whatever's texted into the alert was then converted into a digitized audio message that was sent to the local PSAP Sheriff's Department. And in that case, uh, there were times where um, the Sheriff's Department didn't really know what was going on. And there's an option in the recording that says, if you'd no longer like to receive these messages, please press nine or press star or something like that. And so I think that at some of our PSAP areas, that button had been pushed. And so then they weren't getting alerted. So it's just, again, it's the think with the end in mind, have that communication, train, practice, let them know what's going on. We uh, did that. We just didn't have the greatest results, not on the issue of the system itself, but in the response from the PSAP side, not knowing what they were receiving. So, but it can be done. Okay, well, unfortunately we have run out of time today. Uh, but again, wanna thank you both. Um, sorry that we didn't get to everyone's questions, but all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded on to our speakers. Once again, we hope you take the time to fill, fill out that evaluation survey and provide your feedback. Uh, with that, we end today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Pat Sheckle, Jason Sufka, everyone at Singleware Software, and all of you who listened in. Thanks and have a great day.